serving God your whole life? And the answer to that is no. Uh, I know that's the wrong answer in church, but I came to Christ when I was 10, didn't have any personal discipleship. Uh, straight from God, I was in a gang. We looked like Boy Scouts compared to today. And then finally rededicated my life to the Lord, and I was 17 and been tracking with him then. So it's a privilege to be with you this morning, to be back here. Some of you may remember uh, when Faith and I were here last time, I've had people come up to me and say, hey, you're the puzzle guy, aren't you? Yeah, they got through all the, yeah, so sorry, no puzzle pieces today. But what I want to do this morning is talk to you about discouragement, not how to be discouraged, but how to defeat it. When was the last time you were discouraged? Now, some of you may say, well, I never have been. Well, good on you, mate. Uh, but most of us go through life when these seasons we're stressed out and we're discouraged. And I want to ask you a question. Do you experience it daily, weekly, monthly? Does it come and go? Or are you in a major funk right now? In Ephesians, we learn that through Christ, we have an amazing, amazing inheritance. It is so over the top, Paul wrote to tell us, and the people he originally wrote it to, that he said, I'm praying for you that you might have a much greater understanding of our inheritance in Christ than we currently have, though we may never be able to fully comprehend it because it's inexhaustible and it's immeasurable. But as soon as Paul begins to write out this prayer, like Paul oftentimes does, he goes into digression. Why? Because he's heard they're discouraged. And why are they discouraged? Because Paul is suffering, he's in prison, he's being beat up because he's a faithful servant. So in chapter 3, verse 13 of Ephesians, Paul wrote, please don't despair. NIV says, don't be discouraged. Because what they're doing to me here it's for you that I'm suffering. So strange, he says, so you should feel honored and encouraged. They're feeling discouraged, but he says, you should be experiencing exactly the opposite. Now, I don't know about you, but if someone came up to me and said, don't be discouraged. Okay, I want to know why I shouldn't be discouraged. Because if you go up to somebody and say, don't be discouraged, like saying, to someone who just had a car wreck, don't bleed. You know, unless you give them some help, they're going to bleed, right? So let's talk about seven keys to defeating discouragement. You might already be going, I, I can't even remember the word key. How am I going to remember seven? I'm not asking you to remember seven. The prayer team prayed. We've been in worship asking God to move in our midst to speak to us. So I'm asking you to tune in, to just listen for one, maybe two keys that you're going to write down on that insert you were given or that handout you were given on the way in here and write down that key so that next time, not if, but when, next time discouragement happens, you have a handle on it right away so you don't have to go way down into the valley. First of all, let's talk about what does discouragement mean? I, I just find, not just to have an educational moment, but I think it's helpful to know what in the world we're talking about definition of discouragement is this to deprive of courage do you ever stop to think about discourage means to discourage and as the prayer team was praying this morning Pastor David said what words coming to mind is that I'm sitting there you know listening to people pray the word that keeps coming to my mind is courage 
In our world today of COVID, mask, no mask, vaccine, who's in charge? Kamala Harris, you know, President Biden, Pelosi, I'm from California, please pray for me. <clears throat> you know, it's like, do we face our world in baby formula shortages with courage? Are we like the rest of people that don't know Jesus Christ? And if we're discouraged, who is dissing your courage? Who's taking it away? And why are you letting that happen? Synonyms for discouraged means a lack of confidence, disheartened, depressed, or hindered. You see, the opposite of courage can be expressed by adding the prefix disc. On the flip side, if you add the word in, that little prefix to courage, it means to put courage in. Who's putting courage in your life? I mean, when you go to the grocery store, at the gas pump, wherever you may go, do you walk out your front door going, man, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with courage today because I know who's on the throne of my heart. If ever there was a time in our world we have threats of war, and I read an article today on Fox News, very encouraging. General Miley says, we're this close to World War III. Bummer. Or I can be encouraged by some of these seven keys. You may be sitting here this morning going, you know what, I'm, I'm actually doing pretty good. Do you know someone who's discouraged? Discouraged with their marriage, with their family, with their church, with their pastor, with their health, with our government, with all the Californians moving to the valley? Do you know somebody that's discouraged? What do you have to offer them? Well, let's talk about these seven keys, and hopefully by the time we leave, by the power of the Spirit, you'll be filled with courage to go out and make an impact on this world that's really, in many, many areas, depressed. I was listening to a pastor, a good friend of mine, he says, God has revealed to me that in this day, the spirit of isolation and irritation are really, really at work. And you think, what happened from COVID? What happened from shutdowns? And now road rage and all, I mean, even here in Montana, you know, people are pulling up behind me and it's like, holy cow, I'm driving this car. And you think about it, we're irritated with everything and trying to stay away from everybody, wash your hands, wear a mask, you know, get disinfected before, it's just weird. And the result of all this is it's so easy to become discouraged. First key. Remember, no one is exempt from discouragement. No one. It's a normal part of life. It's just normal. It's just there. And oftentimes when we are discouraged, we have a tendency to think, we're the only ones experiencing this. Nobody else gets discouraged like this. We're the rare or isolated case. However, if you read your Bible, if you look at the first chapter of the book of Joshua, and you remember the word that is in there repeatedly, do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid. Then he says, be courageous. He keeps sharing this. God keeps speaking to him. Why is he so discouraged? How would you like to be Moses' successor? Those are some pretty, pretty big fill, shoes to fill. Not only does he have to succeed Moses, but now he's got to conquer the promised land. 
And sure, he's been an assistant general, if you will, but now he's got to be the lead guy and he's never led a nation before. Yeah, it would have been very easy to say, I am not equal to this task. But God was saying to him, do not be discouraged. Do not be dismayed. And what about John the Baptist? Remember when he was in prison, he said to his disciples, go and find out if, if Jesus is the real deal or am I just in here dying for nothing? And there's another guy in the Bible, you've probably heard of him. We'll call him Jesus. He's on the cross and he's dying. And he says to his father, why? Why have you forsaken me? That was a heavy moment for our Savior. Jesus not only felt that sense of loss and discouragement when he was on this earth working with his disciples when they didn't get it. You remember some of his words? Just imagine Jesus going, oh man, how long am I to be with you guys? It's three years. It seems like 10. How slow are you guys? Imagine how just, I'm with you 24-7 and you still don't get it. Understand part of being in this fallen world is experiencing discouragement. It's normal. You don't have to stay there. Key number two. When discouraged, don't isolate yourself. The enemy of our souls, our own souls, prompts us to withdraw, to isolate, to experience discouragement alone because we figure no one else is going through what we are going through. Everybody else is doing fine or has never experienced what we're experiencing. And you come to church, walk here, and it's good that we lovingly greet each other. But if you took everything we say coming through the doors for face value, everybody is doing fine. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Great. Isn't it a lovely day? Yes. And I, even haven't, I haven't even had my legal addictive stimulants yet. You know, coffee from the coffee bar. And we have all this talk, which is good. It's social. It's greeting. But sometimes we draw the conclusion that Everybody else is doing fine, and I don't want to burden them. And so we back off, we withdraw, we hide behind a curtain of everything is fine. Here's some famous words of the discouraged. I just want to be alone. Being alone to, to just seek self and wallow in your misery is wasted effort. It will lead nowhere. Being alone to be with God, that's another another story we'll come back to that in just a moment but sometimes we fear others will think less of us if we share our discouragement but remember discouragement if we will handle it correctly is temporary I love the King James phrase that occurs again and again in the Old Testament and it came to pass it came to pass it never says and it came to stay and oftentimes we think what comes into our life when there's more month at the end of the money, for instance, and we get really sad about that, you think, well, every month is going to be that way for the rest of my life. We become spiritual Eeyores. But the reality is it came to pass. Psalm 35 says, weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Acknowledging the temporary nature of correctly handling discouragement can put encouragement in us, revitalize your courage, because we realize this is not going to stay. But if you succumb to the desire to isolate, 
Hear this loud and clear, please. Isolation targets you for predation. Isolation targets you for predation. Think of the Serengeti. Who do the lions, the jackals go after? The one that's trailing, the one that's isolated, the one that's by itself. And in those moments when you isolate yourself in morose introspection, it's amazing how ideas in your head start playing and the enemy of our soul starts taking advantage of those moments. God doesn't love you. You're the rare case that's finally beyond his grace. Do you realize what your parents said is actually true? If people here only knew what you're really like last night, Oh, God, I'm so grateful I don't have thought bubbles in church. It's amazing what goes through our minds in those moments we think, I got to keep up the walls and let nobody know what's going on. I'm going to stay isolated because hopefully that will help me get through this time. But remember this. Please don't ever forget that God is always with you. Always with you. When General Joshua was feeling overwhelmed and discouraged with the task of succeeding Moses and the leadership of Israel, God said the following to him, do not be discouraged. Why? For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Think about it. We just sang amazing worship songs about the God of the universe. His name's Wonderful Counselor. Need counseling? Except Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit on board. You have the counselor with a capital C with you wherever you go to access and say, what do I do here? What do I say? How do I handle this? He's always there. Don't be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Wherever you go. Since you were God and in this together in this walk, be encouraged. Be filled with courage. I mean, imagine if we could really visualize... God the Father and his angels on our shoulders are right behind us. Anywhere we go, even to the local, you know, you think I, I need to go get some cream or something and I forgot it. And you go down to the local stop and rob and you park your car and go in there and there's weird people in there. And, and you think, man, God and his angels are with me and the Holy Spirit is in me. I have nothing to fear. This is part of everyday life. When you are discouraged, it's tempting to isolate yourself, but please don't do that. You say, yes, I know God is with me, but I need people. That's true. We all do. Jesus had uh, James and John, you know, the sons of thunder that were close to him. Peter, James, and John was his inner circle. Let me ask you, I think this is a crucial question in our day. Who are your close, trusted friends? Who are your close, trusted friends? I can tell you, stepping down from a large church that I've been at in 18 years, the ethical thing to do is walk away, not be there, and let the new staff and new people take over. I'm telling you, that is hard. Because people that I baptized, you know, family members buried, people I counseled, suddenly they are just not a part of my life anymore. And then fast forward about 18 months and the campfire came through our town and destroyed 14,000 homes, including ours. And it was amazing how everybody looked after each other for two or three weeks. And then it was pretty much you're on your own. And I learned more than ever in my life that the other two couples that are in our life and have been for about 12 years, 
were more precious than gold. Because through the separation, through the fire, they were there all the time. They had my back. And we get together and we have times of prayer that are pretty intense. We go, why would you think that? We share before we go to prayer. We're not praying to each other. And we have these discussions where iron sharpens iron. We pour out our hearts and share our disappointments. And I cannot imagine that. I cannot imagine being without that. And I can't imagine going through what I think is coming. Should the Lord tarry before the rapture occurs? If it gets really ugly on this earth, you're going to be really, really tempted to isolate yourself. You're going to be really, really tempted to say me and mine and good luck with yours. But when you get discouraged, when you feel down, when you feel depressed, when you feel hopeless, it's not going to do any good to get you into your Commander 2000 bunker that's 30 feet below the dirt. You need people. Who are you investing in? Who are you pouring your life into? Who's sharing, carrying the load with you? You see, the reality is you're not the only one to ever experience discouragement. Other people have done it too and survived. So you don't have to go it alone. God is with you, Hebrews 13, 5 says, and he will never leave you or forsake you. Keep that in your mind all the time, when you, especially when you feel discouraged. But make sure you have those people that you can go to, that you can be real with, authentic with, transparent with, can walk with you during that difficult time. Do you have your key yet for defeating discouragement? Here's the third one. Walking in God's will won't exclude you from discouragement, but it will protect you from being overwhelmed by it. Yeah, amen. Would you agree with me that being put in prison, regardless of guilt or innocence, might have, could have been really discouraging for Paul, disheartening, depressing. But imprisonment wasn't all Paul went through. He went through a lot more. In 2 Corinthians 4, we read, Paul writes, the following, and we read it. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed. Why? I don't get this, but not despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Pressed on every side, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, but not crushed, not despair, not abandoned, not destroyed. That's huge. Are circumstances in your life right now causing you to say, why? I don't get this, God. Why? You, you apply for the job, you don't get it. You're trying to improve your economic situation, and it seems like every way you turn, you're blocked. You reach out to other people, they shut you down. Everywhere you turn, it seems like I, I'm just, I'm losing on every corner. And you go, why? You know, it's okay to ask why. We'll come to that in just a moment. But remember, Paul went through all this, and it's too easy for us to read it and just go, mm-hmm, read it before. But he's experiencing this and sharing this with his loved ones to say, this is as real for me as it is for you. But also in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, he writes, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, and I find the older I get, the more that wasting away is visible. And some of you, um, well, anyway. 
Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. You know, I hear people say, fortunately, and this is not a bragamony, but fortunately for both Faith and I, everything still works. But as we were coming here, I had a friend tell me I have to have both knees replaced and the hip replaced. And I'm going, whoa, you're wasting away. But inwardly, because of Christ, being renewed day by day, Paul goes on to say, for our light momentary troubles. Are you kidding me? He was beaten to death, left for dead. And he says, our light momentary troubles. How can he have that perspective? He says, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Oftentimes I, I find that we get discouraged because what we base our sense of well-being on is how much we have. I got new shoes. I got a nice outfit. I got a new couch. I was finally able to afford a house. I got a new car. I get the knickknacks. I unwrapped the bubble wrap, you know, and out came this little, I, I have all this stuff. My mantle is crammed full with glass. And if I have all this stuff, then I'm okay. When we lose it, we get discouraged and feel hopeless. Paul says we fix our eyes not on what is unseen. What, excuse me, not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary. Faith in our rebuilding our house in paradise on the old lot, just feel like God's made it clear to us that's what we are to do. And we're standing in the living room to be and talking with one of the subcontractors and we're talking about lights and this and that and the other. And he says, wow, this is a really cool place. Is this going to be your forever home? I mean, think about it, dude. The last one that was our forever home burned to the ground. And I looked at him, I said, there's only one forever home. And as strange as it may sound, Faith and I know what 45 years of accumulation looks like after a fire. It's a pile of ash about that deep. And we know what it's like to look and say, well, that's the roof layer. That's the attic layer. That's the middle floor layer. That's the basement layer. That's where the boat was. That's, well, all we had left was the bow of the boat. The rest of it is in the atmosphere somewhere, just gone. And it's amazing how sometimes in the process of walking this earth, we focus on the stuff that we have failing to realize none of this is temporary. So Paul says, how do I handle all the stuff I'm going through, what he calls his light momentary afflictions? He handles it with an eternal perspective that in comparison to what's coming, to the investment that he's waking, this is a piece of cake. But if you're focused on this earth, you're going to miss out on the reality of the eternal weight of glory that God will give to those who keep their eyes on him. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. Key number four for defeating discouragement. When you are discouraged, don't be afraid to pour out your heart to God. In verse 12, chapter three of Ephesians, Paul uses the word freedom to describe the mindset with which we can approach God. And I would add, especially in times of discouragement, 
synonyms for the word freedom are boldly, frankly, freely, bluntly. I would offer, but not flippantly, never challenge the character or nature of God. Are there any scriptures that encourage us to pour out our hearts to God? You bet. How about Psalm 62, 8, which says, trust in him at most times. Excuse me. Trust in him at all times. Oh, people, pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Selah. And that last word means, think about that. Pour out your heart to God. God, what are you doing? I don't get this. I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. Lamentations 2.19 in the message says, as each night watch begins, get up and cry out in prayer. Pour your heart out face to face with the master. Lift high your hands and pour your heart out to God. Can you get angry with God? You bet. Read the Psalms. Cracks me up sometimes when I'm reading Psalms and David's going, God, I don't get it. My enemies are having success. I want to knock their teeth out. How many of you prayed that prayer? <laughs> and you probably felt that, but you go to God and you go, Heavenly Father, thou hast ordained this special moment. And I can imagine God up there going, you know, go, come on, pour your heart out. Let's talk about what you're going through. Even Jesus, as I mentioned earlier, said, God, why? I don't get it. Will this help? Will anything happen? In Ephesians 3, later on in the chapter, Paul wrote, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even think or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen? Amen. So when you think about that, you pour out your heart to God and you tell him with your, you know, pygmy brain how you see things. And then realize God is able with his infinite wisdom to address his answer to your situation to immeasurably, to do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine. What a relief to know rather than marinate in discouragement, we can be filled with the Holy Spirit and the courage to face whatever we face, knowing God is with us and before us. Here's our fifth key. When you are discouraged, meditate on the sovereignty of God. Now, some of you may say, well, I, I don't know how to meditate. I've never done that before. Do you know how to worry? You know what that is? It's negative meditation. You're gifted. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. But meditation is pondering, musing on the things that have you discouraged and the lies you believe and the issues you've faced and the stuff that you're up against rather than focusing on who God is. God is sovereign. In our world today, have you heard somebody say, what in the world is our world coming to? I know what's coming to, do you? You know how I know? It's, I read it in the manual. In Ephesians chapter one, Paul wrote, God's secret plan has now been revealed to us. It's a plan centered on Christ, designed long ago according to his good pleasure. And this is his plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven 
and on earth. What does everything leave out? Nothing. Everything is coming under his sovereign hand. So whenever you find yourself saying, man, I am up to here. This is over my head. I don't get it. Remember this. Because God is sovereign, what is over your head is still under his feet. What is over your head is still under his feet. Why? Because he's sovereign. And I, you know, I don't want to get political other than to get political. But you realize what's going on in our nation and all the, the laws and rules and policies that are being passed that are totally contrary to the eternal truth of God's word. I don't read of any scripture anywhere where it says, when man rules, God wrings his hands. What am I going to do now? These guys are so powerful. And the poles, oh man, the poles are saying they're for them and against me. And the angels are all shuffling their feet going, we've never encountered this before. Uh, No. This whole world is heading to God. Either with bended knee in worship or bended knee in admission, their willful rejection of his truth. You see, sovereign means possessing supreme power. His power is absolute, unparalleled, knows no bounds, knows no limitations. So in Isaiah 46.10, the prophet wrote, My purpose will stand, and God all that I please. Who can stand against him? And Ephesians 1.11 reminds us, He works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. That's powerful. We stop and think about that and you go, you know what? So are we all puppets just kind of, you know, do whatever God tells us to do? No, he's given us free will. But our free will does not usurp or surpass his sovereignty. And I love the fact that God has given us free will, yet he has not abandoned us. It's so cool. So in 2 Thessalonians 1.11, Paul wrote to the people in Thessalonica, Paul said, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power, check this out, he may fulfill every good purpose of who? Of yours. Maybe you're facing a decision. You go, I don't know what to do. Where should I go to school? How am I going to pay for that? Uh, When am I going to get married? Should we build a building? Should I replace this car? Uh, What kind of granite are we supposed to get? Why is it on the fifth time and they still can't get it right? You know, all this stuff that we face and we're going, God, just lay it down on the blanket and I'll look at it and go, now I know your will. The amazing thing God is saying under the blanket of his sovereignty, I've got this, but I've given you a brain and I've given you passion. Follow me, obey me, and I love to fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by what? Your faith. You know what it takes to do that? Courage. Courage to step out and say, I'm to the best of my ability. I think this is what God wants me to do. But I think God's just saying, go for it, girl, and I'm with you. Go for it, guy. Notice, guy and girl, that's it. Go for it, guy, and I'm with you. Follow the science, people, okay? A friend of mine came, moved to Kalispell right after the fire, showed up in paradise wearing a baseball hat, 
And he said, I bought it in cow's bells. I might want to try and get one before we leave. And on the front of it, right up here, it says, relax, God's in control. And I just thought, oh, man, that is so cool. I said, where do you get that? And he goes, Montana. I'm going, that figures, you know. <laughs> and he said, what's been so cool, I walk around with this hat on, and I cannot tell you how many people have said, oh, that's so good to read. He said, I've only had one person give me grief, and they kind of went, you know, one of those things. But everybody's just looking and going, man, I need to know that, that reassurance. When you are feeling discouraged, remember, God's got this. He's in control. Another way of saying that, he's sovereign. Here's a sixth key. Spend quality time with God. Spend quality time with God. Make sure, as someone has rightly said, make sure your gaze and glance are rightly focused. Earlier we read in 2 Corinthians 4.18 where Paul wrote, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what or perhaps who is unseen. I find when I get discouraged, I'm too focused. I'm gazing at the issues I'm facing and I'm glancing at God. Get your gaze and glance reversed and you're in trouble. It gets very discouraging rather quickly. But the reality is if we take time to be with God, it's amazing how our courage can grow. You may say, you know what, but you don't understand all that's going on in my life. I got this, 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 and I'm worried about it all. Where is God in the midst of this? I actually had a gal one time I was preaching on anxiety and worry, and a lady came up to me after the service as serious as a heart attack, and she said to me, you don't understand, Pastor Larry, I have to worry because if I'm not worried I'm worrying that I'm not worrying I'm going really got a verse for that wow do you know it's actually possible to be addicted to worry not to the worry itself but to the adrenaline that comes from it there is such a thing as adrenaline addiction a pastor friend of mine got addicted to adrenaline because he served, 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 served until he had a physical breakdown and had to be removed from his ministry for six months. Are you a professional worrier? Do you ever take all that to God and pour out your heart to him and just spend quality time, not a drive-through moment, but really gazing at God and time alone with him? Luke 5, 16 teaches us, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Another translation says, as was his custom, Jesus often withdrew. What's your custom? Especially in the midst of discouragement? Is your custom just to drill down more into how horrible this is? How tough it is? How difficult? How depressing? How sad? How hopeless? Or to take all of that in a little basket and come to our sovereign God and say, your power is immeasurable. I can't handle this anymore. Will you take this from me? And then come back a half hour later and say, I can't handle this anymore, but I took it back. Will you take it from me? And then if need be another half hour, come back and do it again. Until finally you get the picture, you can't handle it even though you're saying it. See, I think too often the problem here is that we think, just a real quick microburst of time with God will satisfy all our needs. This is one of those cases where quality and quantity are inseparable. 
my opinion I think too often we settle for spiritual junk food I got my daily bread and by nine, I read through it and by 9 o'clock I have no idea what I read uh, you know we turn on the radio real quick like because we know at 9.52 there's a 60 minutes in this I mean 60 seconds in the scripture it's kind of like going through the drive through at McDonald's you know I'll have two blessings a scripture an amen a hallelujah and I'll get it at the next window you remember the guy sometime back the guy that all he did was eat McDonald's for a year he was in pretty bad shape by the end of the year if all you're getting is spiritual snack food, junk food, maybe you know you listen to a sermon online and then forget it quickly when you turn away. It's like that's my spiritual Red Bull for the day. You're missing out on the best, especially in those times of discouragement. You ever stop to think that right in the middle of all the discouragement, all the tough stuff going on, that God's prepared a feast for you? Or he says, just come to the table, please. One-on-one, you and me, come to the table. I love the way David poetically put it in Psalm 23, 5. You have prepared for me, what? A table in the presence of my enemies. I submit to you, discouragement can be an incredible enemy. And God's saying, come, let's feast. Not a quickie verse. No, those things are all good. But if they become your diet, you're not healthy. And you're susceptible to discouragement. I almost hear some of you say, but I just don't have that kind of time. You know, I'm a single mother. Uh, I, I have little kids. I have a career and my home. And it's weird now that I'm getting older and I find that older gets older the older I get. I don't know of anybody who's retired and Faith and I aren't retired, we're repurposed. Somebody said, you need to turn that into a bumper sticker. But I don't know of anybody that's retired that says, I have so much time on my hands, I don't know what to do. Everybody I talk to says, I've never been busier in my life. It's weird. We have this thing as human beings where we want to just keep cramming stuff into our lives. And in the process, we start pushing God out. And we're focused on our lists, the things we got to check off, the things we got to do on Facebook marketplace you know whatever the case may be and all these things we got to do and God's going I know you're discouraged I got a feast eat your skin and bones manja manja if you're Italian <laughs> to the nation of Israel through the prophet Isaiah God said in repentance and rest is your salvation in quietness and trust is your strength what do you need salvaged? Where do you feel weak? God's saying, come to me, rest, repent. Let's talk, pour out your heart to me. And then what's always a gut punch to me in that verse where God says, but you would have none of it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there's a feast awaiting you even in the midst of your discouragement if you'll take time to eat it. Let God by his spirit pour his courage into your heart. But you don't know what I'm up against and it seems like everybody's winning but me, Psalm 37, 7. God says, uh, David said, be still before the Lord and wait, wait 
patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways. Some of you are so tuned in to news and the radio, you're just sort of like a walking broadcaster yourself, spewing all the rotten news that's going on, all the bad things that are happening. I had a friend of mine who was like that. I, I wanted to learn construction, and he, you know, he was willing to teach me that, so you know, this was like four years ago now. And we're doing that. He always had Rush Limbaugh or somebody on the radio. All this stuff that's horrible and rotten news, get your blood pressure up. And have you ever heard in the news, they say what bleeds leads? And so you look at all this horrible stuff going on, that's what you get focused on. You start getting anxious and uptight and discouraged. But God says, do not fret when men succeed in their ways and when they carry out their wicked schemes. Be still and wait. That's one of the hardest things for us to do in our culture. But let me suggest this to you. A friend shared this with me. Let me suggest it to you. Learn to be patient and learn to wait. And here's two practical ways. When you go to the grocery store, look for the longest line. I'll tell you, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing. It's like, I, you know, where, where's the shortest line? Which one? How can we get out of here the quickest? Look for the longest line. And when you're standing there in line, wait patiently and see what doors God's open. God opens. It's amazing the opportunities that are there. I was driving, uh, for, we live up in the mountains in Northern California. As I'm driving down the hill, it's about a 25 minute drive down to the valley. As I'm driving down the hill, daily, as we go to the, our new uh, home site to work, daily, people come right up on me. The speed limit's 35. I'm doing 40, and these people want to read my VIN number. I'm going, are you kidding me? And I feel the blood pressure going up and starting to get impatient. And I'm going, be patient. Wait, be still. Faith can testify. You know what my practice is now? I pull over. Pull over and let them go by, and I'm back in peace. But, you know, they should be tailgating you when the law says, and I was there first, and I pay my taxes. Okay, great. We'll be discouraged and uptight about what's going on in the road. Or be still and wait patiently for God to deal with those guys. And I have to say in, in my heart, when I see people tailgate me, rip around me, go over and fly ahead, and they're pulled over being given a ticket. <laughs> yeah, I get kind of carnal in that moment. Now let, me, let me wind it down with this. Here's our seventh key. Have you picked yours yet? Here's our seventh key for defeating discouragement. Use your inheritance. Use your inheritance. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, you are royalty in God's kingdom. And as a son or daughter of the king, you have a right to your inheritance through Jesus Christ. What is the official title we give a son of the king? Prince. What is the official title we give the daughter of the king? Princess. Do you realize you're sitting here with prince and princesses? Don't get weird and go to Burger King and get one of those little hats. But realize the inheritance that you have in Christ. And what is that? In the scripture we are told in Christ, we have God's wisdom. God, I'm discouraged. I don't know what to do. You have access to his wisdom. God, I'm such a miserable Christian. I should have grown more by now. I should have seen more fruit by now. I should have 
Well, I love that song that says he redeems the things that could have been. In Christ, your position is righteous and holy. Believe that, not the lies of the enemy. And then one more thing here to share, and then we'll pray. One more, please, computer. Realize in Christ we have redemption. Whatever you've messed up, he can redeem. Whatever you've put down, he can raise up. Whatever you've buried, he can resurrect. Whatever you think is hopeless and can never be corrected, it's going to affect you the rest of your life, he can release you from. Are you filled with courage? Are you walking in this world like the rest of society that does not know hope and personal relationship that comes from Jesus Christ alone? I submit to you that if ever there was a time for Christians to be courageous, it's now. But to be filled with that courage, you've got to get rid of the discouragement that comes from your flesh or the enemy. As the worship team, the rest of the worship team comes up on stage, would you bow your heads with me? And let's just take a moment to do business with God. If you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you do so right now? It's a simple yet profound and eternal transaction. Just say, God, I'm tired of being so discouraged tired of walking this earth by myself, being alone and isolated. I'm tired of the defeat, the discouragement. Please come into my life. I'm tired of making all my choices and they're wrong and I admit it. They just don't work out near as good as I'd hoped they would. Right now I choose you. Help me live a life that's honoring to you. Help me walk with you. And for those of you that are in the depths of despair and discouragement right now, make a commitment that when we leave this place, you'll pour your heart out to God. Start the conversation now, but you won't have enough time to do that in the depths of your despair that will describe those depths. You don't have enough time right now to do that. Set aside time to be with God.